Welcome to the Genuinely You podcast channel, which is packed with advice and tips on how to live your life with purpose. Do you wish you felt happy and fulfilled? Are you feeling stuck, wishing things could be better? Are you ready to take some action and create the life you want? To start living an empowered life, you need to recognize and make full use of the power and freedom that comes from being genuinely you. Your host is Gina Gardner, a number one best-selling author whose whole life has been about supporting people to achieve personal empowerment, helping people just like you recognize that they can. Hi there, it's Gina Gardner here, and I'm really pleased to join you on Passionate World Radio today. My theme today is about being a confident parent. I believe that parenthood is one of the most challenging but rewarding roles ever. I've worked with thousands of parents and children in my 21 years as head teacher and since then as a coach. Today I'm going to share with you my principles for creating a great relationship with your children and supporting them to become confident adults who fulfil their potential. There is no qualification for being a parent. It's probably the most significant thing you'll ever do. But it's not an exact science. And as caring, loving parents, I know you'll do the very best you can to do a great job. So I'm not trying to teach you how to suck eggs. But this is all about looking at how you can tap into the best practice and research so you can become even better parents. By developing confident, consistently positive strategies as parents, your children will feel secure and develop strong, positive self-esteem, which will underpin success for the whole of their lives. I know I'm constantly dealing with clients whose sense of self-worth has been um, damaged by the way in which adults, when they were young, have spoken to them and about them. Probably the most important thing to remember as a parent is to understand and manage yourself first. When you know your own strengths and demons and what drives you, you're better equipped to deal with others. Understanding how you fulfil your basic needs and where your beliefs and patterns of behaviour help or hinder you is the starting point. And once you understand yourself, you can then recognise these things in others including your children, and use this knowledge to influence, support and challenge others. There's no doubt that your children are worth the effort. Make no mistake, at times they are an effort. But they're the future. How you bring them up impacts not only on their future, but the future of your grandchildren and society as a whole. Being a parent means making the distinction between being a parent rather than a mate. It needs you to create appropriate boundaries and to be able to sustain these boundaries consistently. More than anything else, children need certainty and security versus uncertainty and anxiety. And if they don't know where they are and they don't know where the boundaries are, then they're really going to struggle and they will consistently push the boundaries in order to test where they can know that they're safe. You can provide the best of what they need by, be cre by creating a regime which suits your circumstances. But it does need to be delivered in a consistent and even-handed way, with flexibility when needed, 
and it's also about having some fun. From my perspective, the one thing that makes an enormous difference is consistency. And so whatever you do, it's got to be something that you can manage on the day when the cat's been sick, the car's gone wrong, the washing machine's playing up, and you've had a row with your partner. So for me, fundamentals of pairing, sorry, fundamentals of parenting, manage yourself first. Your emotional state will impact on how well you manage your child and everything else. Never deal with them when you're really angry. You're likely to overreact and say or do things which back you or them into a corner. You can always say you're displeased and that you're going to calm down before you deal with them. This is not about threatening them. It's about managing your physiology and your emotional state. By telling them that you don't want to deal with this while you're feeling really angry, you're actually modelling a behaviour that will be useful for them, not only in their childhood, but when they're at work. Now, there are lots of strategies for getting under control. Deep breathing, changing your physiology by going for a walk or going and making a cup of tea. Visualising yourself calm actually putting yourself into a calm state through imagining that you are um, in a, uh, under the sun at, on a beach watching the sea. Anchoring times when you've been calm and in control. Changing your focus, exercise. There's lots of different ways to do it. What is important that you do it. I think it's really important that you deal with your own baggage. It's very easy to get caught in the trap that because you find things difficult or have been disappointed by life, that you dump those limiting beliefs and fears onto your child. At its most simple level, telling a child, I was never any good at maths, so you won't be, will limit their belief in themselves that they can do maths. It's setting up a self-fulfilling prophecy. I used to have this a lot at school that, you know, I would be talking to a parent about a child's maths ability and they'd say, well, don't expect them to be good at maths because I wasn't. And I would say to the child, actually, you can be good at maths. It's our job to find the key to help you be good, but you've got to be prepared to give it a go. Because many children, if they're given this message, will choose not to try rather than to fail. We transfer our baggage in so many ways. People who've had bad experiences in relationships can unconsciously pass on their fear of intimacy or send a message that all men are useless or women are of no account. Just consider the impact of the message that all men are useless if you have a son and they hear this message time after time after time. Allow your children to create their own baggage. Encourage them and give them opportunities to try, even if it means failing. Because if you think about failing and succeeding, where do you learn most? For the most part, we learn through our failures. Help them to learn that failure is simply an opportunity to learn in order to succeed better the next time. Think about what you value most, and I would suggest that you make a list of those things that are really important in life and, life and why they're important. And then think about what are your values as a parent? 
What are the things that are really important to you? Look at your initial list and underline the ones that you think are important for you to pass on to your children. How do you currently show that these values are important? What behaviours do the children experience? Are there any occasions when your actions are at odds with your values? And how might you make these things match more evenly? I think it's incredibly important that you model the behaviour that you want from them. However you deal with things is the role model that you're offering them. The do what I say, not what I do style simply doesn't work in the long term. You're the model they'll use for so many things. Diet, weight, exercise, relationships, attitudes, in fact, all patterns of behaviour. If you deal with them in an aggressive way, they'll deal with others in the same way. If they see you constantly being or feeling that you're a victim, they'll believe that this is how it should be. If you drop litter, so will they. If you're honest, they'll learn to value honesty. If you say please and thank you, you can expect them to do the same. Now, I know this sounds a bit simplistic, but if you have double standards, it makes it extremely difficult for children to know what is expected. You need to walk the talk. Now, you need to consistently help your children understand these things too by the way in which you interact if they don't comply with your values. But it really is important that they see you doing the right thing. So if you want your child to be a good reader, it's great if you read with them. But it's even greater if they can see that you take the time to read. And dads, particularly for you, because boys are generally more reluctant readers than girls, if they see you reading and valuing reading, they're much more likely to value it too. I'd like to talk about the difference between influence and empowerment versus control. I believe the goal needs to be that we'll empower our children to make the right choices for the right reasons, whether we're there checking up on them or not. The problem with control is it only works when you're there to supervise. It doesn't teach independence or develop self-esteem. When you're disciplining a child, show them what they've done and give them ownership of the problem. Now, this needs to be um, age-related. So for very little children, um, you're going to have to find a different way. But once children are able to understand, and I would say that happens about age five or six particularly, um, then you can start to use um, this uh, as a principle. When children say, he made me, it wasn't my fault, they'll never take responsibility for their actions. And parents often make too many excuses for children, actually colluding with them so they never actually learn that choices have consequences. And each one of us needs to take personal responsibility for making the choice we do, or failing to make a choice, which is actually a choice. Always ensure that you leave your child's dignity intact. It's important that you don't back them into a corner. But saying to children that, you know, you've done this, so how are you going to put it right? Getting children to understand that if you make a choice and you get it wrong, what's important is you don't wriggle and make excuses. 
but you do everything in your power to put it right and you certainly learn from that experience and you don't do it again. Be the parent, not the best friend. Many parents in my experience appear to be frightened to be the parent rather than the child's best mate. Um, it's a recipe for disaster because a child doesn't need you to be their best mate, to be one of them. They need you to create the structures by which they'll feel safe. And I want you to think about the way in which you interact with your child. Now, I'm not talking about being unfriendly or being distant, but you're not one of their ma mates, and it is important that you set down the ground rules and that you're consistent about how you apply them. Seeing things from a child's eye view is quite important. And I wonder how long it is since you've got down to your child's eye view of the world. Try it sometime. If you've got very young children, think about what they see and experience from their pushchair or as they trail around the shops with you. I know from being in a wheelchair that what I see are bags and bottoms and the um, pointy end of umbrellas and so on. When you're little, small things can seem to be the end of the world. The skill is determining what's important and what is a child wanting instant gratification. It's better to acknowledge that they're finding things difficult and reassure them that they will be fine rather than belittling their fears or laughing at them. They did some experiments with children to look at instant gratification and I think it's worth talking about it because the experiments followed children for years after the experiment. What they did is they put um, a marshmallow on a plate in a room and they left the child on their own saying to the child, do not eat the sweet. If you leave it for 10 minutes, when I come back, you can have two. Some children couldn't manage it. They had to eat the sweet. They needed instant gratification. Some children distracted themselves and they were obviously distracting themselves and kept on looking at the sweet and going and um, really investigating the sweet and then moving away again. And the third group of children, um, having been told not to have it, just ignored the sweet. What they discovered is that children who needed instant gratification, those who ate it straight away, when they followed them through life, those children did far less well. They were much less successful at school, they had far worse paid jobs, and they were more often overweight. They really didn't do as well. The middle group did far better, but they didn't do as well as those children who had learnt very early on in life that instant gratification wasn't necessary. And so I would say to you, children who are mithering you, moaning at you, nidging you because they want something and they want it now. If you constantly give in to them, they do not learn deferred gratification and I believe you are doing them a huge disservice. Now children inevitably are going to do something wrong and I think it's very important that you let children know um, that their behaviour is not, uh, not appropriate. But criticise the behaviour, not the child. Rather than telling the child they're stupid or they're useless, um, I would suggest an approach like this. I love you very much, but I don't like what you're doing. Be very clear what behaviour is unacceptable and why.
I'd tell them you're a really important part of this family. That isn't what we have come to expect from you. It's not acceptable because, um, and then tell them that, um, that you're too good for this. You're too clever for this. Another way of approaching it, that behaviour was silly. I'm really surprised because you're actually very sensible. Or, I love you too much to accept you doing anything which isn't your best. What would you do if you were doing a great job? Keep it simple. Focus on a very small number of things at once. Ideally one, but never more than three things at a time. Keep your language simple. Make it clear exactly what you expect and why. If you're offering choices and consequences, they need to be couched in very simple terms. Listen, and listen actively. This is a hugely underrated skill. Things often are not what they seem at face value. But because we're so busy and always balancing the thousands of calls on our time, we often fail to listen when it matters most. Lots of problems are created because parents don't listen when there are problems occurring between brothers and sisters. They take things at face value and make judgments and they seem unfair, at least to one of them. Listening actively means using your ears and watching carefully as over 60% of communication is through body language and posture. It really is time well spent. If having heard everyone, you can't actually tell who was in the right, you have several options. So you could say, I've heard everything you have to say. I want to be fair to you both. It's rather like a bowl of spaghetti and I can't find the ends. We've got some choices here. You can sort it out yourself without tears. I could punish you both. We could draw a line under this or you could come up with another idea that we all agree to. It seems sad that we're spending time on this when we could be doing something much nicer. What do you think we should do? Use your voice effectively. Use a calm voice, a neutral one, because children feed off the energy of a cross or excited voice. The pitch of children's and women's voices are often very similar. Mums will often try to compete to be heard by raising their voice. The children raise theirs, and so it continues. And this was very true of inexperienced teachers too, particularly in a primary school, as most of the teachers were women. Rather than compete, try lowering the pitch of your voice or talking very quietly. Whilst they may not hear you at first, their curiosity usually kicks in and they'll quieten down to you. Keep your voice even, with little energy in it. Beware shouting, whining, nagging or begging. Please don't do that. Rather than that, please don't do that. Having done, you know, all you can to make sure that you are managing your, your energy, that you are in a not angry at the time, you can pretend you are, but not actually angry, make sure, neutral voice, and that you're very clear about what you want to do. Don't get caught up in the game of their argument. Parents often find that they're behaving like another child within the argument, they do it in, in what both they're saying and how they say it. So if you suddenly find yourself working hard trying to justify your decision, think 
Is this a reasonable way for a parent to behave? Stand back. Decide how you want to play it. Be the grown-up and take control of the situation. But if you're doing tit-for-tat, you're actually adding energy to the situation negatively. Set clear expectations. Be absolutely clear about what you want. Children aren't great mind readers. If you want them to do something or know how you feel about something, you must communicate that to them. This is equally true of your communication with partners, parents and work colleagues too. Be really wary of expecting too little from them because it gives them nothing to strive for. If you constantly um, are expecting too little, they'll lose heart and give up. If you're constantly expecting too much, they'll give up too because it'll be too difficult. And judging it is is more of an art than a science. Expectations should be appropriate to their age. When you are nine, then you can do whatever. Until then, this is what I expect. Now you're 14, I expect more of you. When you were nine, that was acceptable behaviour. It's no longer acceptable. But make sure that you have these conversations up front. Children need structure. The structure should provide a safe, nurturing environment where children can try things out without fear of failure. Encourage them to look for the learning when things go wrong. They need to learn to make decisions for themselves appropriate to their age and understanding what's in your own best interest and being able to stand up for yourself without being aggressive is a huge life lesson. These things need to be seen hand in hand with understanding and respecting the rights and needs of others. Small children only see the world from their perspective. There are many adults who are the same because they've not learnt to actually value other people's point of view. These are skills which are vital if children are to cooperate effectively um, as adults. I cannot reiterate enough, be consistent. Children need to feel secure. If you keep changing the goalposts, they'll feel insecure and act up all the more. If you let things go on one day but get angry with them on another for doing the same thing, you're giving them a very mixed message. Parents often laugh at something their child does initially, but get cross when the child keeps repeating the same activity. Remember the child responds directly to your feedback. If you laugh, they'll want to make you laugh again. Or they'll try to shock you to get your attention. And it's probably sensible to remember that children will have attention on any terms. If you're not noticing them and praising the behaviours you want to encourage, they'll play up simply to get your attention. The more they feel ignored, the more extreme the behaviour is likely to become. Spending time with them where you focus on them, talk to them, play with them, will pay enormous dividends. Focus on the positive behaviours you want to encourage. Reinforce those behaviours and attitudes by praising it, noticing it when they do. It's very much like training a puppy um, to be house trained. Most of us work better for a carrot than a stick. Praise costs you nothing but a little energy. Make sure the voice has got lots of energy in it and give them a hug. Tell them how pleased you are with them. Make it clear that you are pleased with them so they know what to do again. Be honest but constructive. 
Children know when you're going through the motions. Don't just do it for the sake of it. You really have to believe it. Mean what you say and follow through. If you say one thing and do another, remember that's a mixed message. Threatening punishments which are not forthcoming, saying no but giving in if they whine, nag or cajole enough, um, will encourage your child to nag, whine and cajole. You'll be colluding in the very behaviours you want to change. How often do you threaten your children with something you don't carry out? Or you start a punishment but you let them off? If you say no, mean it. And I would say to you, no is a word that you should only use if it is absolutely going to mean no. Use other words, well maybe I'll think about it if you are likely to change your mind. So, can I have a biscuit? No, it will spoil your dinner. Oh, go on, no. But I'm so hungry. Okay, but make sure you eat your dinner. Here, no means yes. There's no way of getting the biscuit back if they fail to eat their dinner. Here's an alternative. Can I have a biscuit? Yes, later after you've eaten your dinner. If you want an answer right now, it'll be no. Give me some time to think about it and maybe you can. If you nag, the answer will definitely be no. Only use no when whatever you're talking about is not up for negotiation. With older primary and particularly teenagers who ask them to do or have something, ask them to convince you. If they come up with a good enough argument, you can say yes. But if they don't, you say, well, I'm really sorry you haven't convinced me and give them the reasons why not. I think one of the best ways to deal with things is to offer choices. Rather than giving orders or offering ultimatums, offering choices helps children to learn independence. The skill is knowing which decisions and responsibilities parents should keep entirely to themselves and where offering choices is appropriate. Children need to understand that they have choices in life and the choices on offer need to reflect the age and maturity of the child. The paradox is that children need to be strong-willed to withstand peer pressure and to become confident, assertive adults, yet they also need to understand that every choice they make has consequences. It does when we're adults too. Without the opportunity to learn how to make the right choices, they'll develop no sense of self or integrity. From a very young age, children can be involved in making choices, and getting the balance right is important. Asking children what they think um, is really important. But if, for example, a mother offers everyone in the family a free choice of what they're going to want for dinner, that's going to result in her having to cook four different meals, and that's not acceptable. Giving children the choice as what time they want to go to bed. I mean, think about how your child might be offered a choice, but reasonable boundaries set around routines. So, for example, you've got two choices. You can either tidy up now, and then there'll be time to watch TV, or do it later and no time for TV. The choice is yours. Remember, choices bring consequences, and children need to know that every choice has a consequence. So there are natural consequences, like if you put your shoes on the wrong feet, your feet will feel uncomfortable. If you don't wear your coat and it's raining, you'll get wet. If you're late for dinner, you'll get cold food. 
So long as they're not life-threatening, children can learn a great deal from the natural consequence of their action. But where you're setting out consequences that are not naturally going to teach them, um, give them um, a choice. Here's an example. Um, a 12-year-old borrows a jumper and damages it. And you ask them, how are you going to put that right? Well, one way of doing that is that they use their pocket money to pay to get it repaired or to replace it. If you're late for supper, you'll have to heat it up and clear the dishes up after you. If you break someone else's toy, you'll have to buy a new one out of your pocket money or give them yours. Effective discipline is about helping them learn to take responsibility. It's got to be reasonable. What you ask of them must make sense and be appropriate to their age and circumstance. Make it simple for them to understand and for them to follow through. And should always work on the basis that the child can and should have the opportunity to act responsibly. And if they have a problem that they need uh, to have a plan to sort it out. It should provide a valuable learning experience. If a child spoils a book, the learning experience should be that if you damage something, you must replace or repair it. They need to actively be involved in the putting things right. It's got to be practical. It's no use saying you can't go to school until you've finished tidying up your bedroom. What you can say, if you haven't finished tidying up your bedroom before school, there'll be no playing or watching TV until it's done once you get home. Your choice. With young children, you can get them to help you put it right. Now, if you don't get what you want from children, keep your cool. State clearly what you do want. Remember, being clear doesn't mean shouting. Repeating what you expect quietly is likely to have far more impact. I'd like you to tidy away your toys now, please. Tidy your room, please. If you're ignored, you need to couple high expectations with clear choices and consequences. Now, flexibility um, versus being a walkover, it's an interesting one. There's a world of difference between listening and making an active choice to do things differently and caving in because the child's worn you down. If you decide to change your mind, make it clear that you have done so because you thought about it and on reflection decided on a different course of action. It's all too easy to fall into the trap of making assumptions and this is particularly so when dealing with arguments or problems. Children are very, very good at winding others, each other up and standing back and looking innocent when the other child loses their cool. Be careful that you don't always take things at face value and that the child who's been wound up bears the brunt. Providing a united front, parents, vital and grandparents. Often it's the grandparents who are the weak link. And I think it's really important that you actually talk to them about the need for the children to develop um, a way of being and that, the, that you value the grandparents' in, input, um, but then we need to work together. If you make a mistake, and you will, say you're sorry, own up to it and apologise. Don't beat yourself up but learn from the experience. Now I'm talking about you as parents and them as children. Model what you want. It'll show your child how to behave when things go wrong. Never go to bed on an argument. Make sure that each day ends with hugs and reassurance that you love them. Knowing that you're loved helps develop resilience and a sense of self-worth. 
taking this forward, look at the way in which you run your family at the moment and think about the things which are going well and those areas that you'd like to change. Celebrate your success and don't beat yourself up if you make a mistake. Empowering children begins by helping them develop a great sense of self-esteem and they need to have a sense that they have a worth and that you value them. Creating a safe, loving and empowering environment requires us as adults to first value ourselves and show we believe that we too are worth it. If they see you in the role of victim or doormat, they'll see these roles as acceptable. Think about the emergency instructions you're given in an aeroplane. Put your own oxygen mask on first. So, there's a lot to think about that here, and um, I plan to do a second session uh, with some more tips and strategies for you as parents. But I hope you found that useful. You can find lots more information about developing self-esteem, beliefs, all sorts of things on my website, https um, for, colon forward slash forward slash genuinely hyphen you dot com. You can also get a free down digital download of my latest book. It's a number one bestseller, Thriving Not Surviving, The Five Secret Pathways to Happiness and Success. Please let me know how you get on. If there are themes you'd like me to cover, please let me know either through the radio show um, website or through my website. But thank you and I hope it's been useful. Have a safe week. Bye now. You've just been listening to another great Genuinely You podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Genuinely You is a culmination of Gina's work, spanning over 30 years, of helping people learn what makes them feel happy and truly fulfilled, and how to achieve it. Please visit genuinely-you.com today to find out more.